and I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Welcome back to My Alchemical Bromance. This is Eric Arneson, and today we are joined by Marlena Seven-Bremner, who's an artist and writer whose work has alchemical and hermetic themes in the veil of surrealism. Um, and also we might have uh, Nathan Neff and possibly Joey in the background somewhere, maybe? I'm here. Joey's what? not on at the moment. All right, cool. Maybe in a bit. So, uh, Seven. Uh, say hi hi (laughs) Um, so we came across your artwork at the um at the esoteric book conference in oh joey that sounded horrible (laughs) (laughs) uh we came across your artwork seven at the esoteric book conference in 2016 yeah, and I don't remember. Yeah, that was a great show. Yeah, it, um, I was really surprised by it. Like, first of all, you don't come across good artists all the time, and you never come across like good artists, modern artists who are working on the kind of stuff that you're working on. So I was really blown away, uh, and I can't remember if I met you that day or not. If so, it would have been very brief and in passing. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. You probably met a lot of people. But um yeah. But you how long have you been doing art? How long have you been doing this stuff? Did you have formal training? I have a I'm going to ask you one question at a time. Okay. <laughs> Did you go I, Oh yeah, you go. No, I never went to school for art. Um Really? I grew up in a family of artists on my mom's side uh-huh. and my mom did a lot of drawing, a really excellent portrait artist um and painter, but Nobody ever taught me anything in the family. It was just kind of observed. And um, growing up, there was no um, sense that going to art school was even an option. It wasn't talked about, um, even though my uncle was a pretty well-known painter up in Seattle and was making a career of it for himself. Um, So, yeah, I, I grew up doing a lot of art, but didn't consider myself as an artist and then I went to school for geography and environmental studies. So, are you so you're mostly self-taught? Did your uncle sort of help you get yeah. started? Yeah, that's no, impressive. nobody, nobody really helped me. I um I didn't start uh, seriously painting until I was about twenty-four. Uh huh. So I've been doing it for about ten years now. Oh wow! And so did you? Did you just? I mean, I've watched you. You've got some YouTube videos up about with you painting and and the process and stuff that you use. And I just wonder, like, did you learn that stuff from like watching YouTube tutorials, did, or did you just figure it out on your no. own? Did you get books? Like, <laughs> were you divinely inspired? I, I just decided that I wanted to do it, and I, I didn't really look at books, and I didn't really look at videos, except to get the very very basics. Um, I did look at some how tos online, I think, but uh-huh. I. I was kind of resistant to looking at any other influences because I didn't want to be influenced in that way. I wanted to just figure it out. Um, wow. Well, that's just, that's super impressive. Um, oh yeah. And you've got some events coming up. We should probably talk about those at the beginning of the podcast, just in case. Uh, yeah. So, so okay. what do you have? So this episode's probably coming out on the 28th. So that means for people who download it right away, you have something tomorrow-ish. Yeah, tomorrow <laughs> on March 1st. 
I have a show at Axis Pioneer Square. Um, it's a group show with a, a lot of really amazing, very talented artists that I'm be displaying art with. And I'm gonna be unveiling a very large four by four foot painting that I just completed oh, depicting wow. Thoth, mm -hmm. um, the ancient Egyptian deity of wisdom mm -hmm. and mathematics and uh, writing and all sorts of magical things. And uh, I'll have two other pieces in the show as well. Oh, great. And then. So, yeah, that's March 1st from 5 to 9 p.m. at okay. Axis. And then, what about on March 9th? You've got something else. March 9th, I am just teaching a, a little two hour class here in Olympia. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be at Gallery Boom uh, okay. from 5 to 7 p.m. And the class is actually, it's called Creative Alchemy. And it's sort of just a an exploration of alchemy as a means to tap into your creative fire and use it for transformation. Cool. Okay, I'll put links to those things in the show notes so people can go go see and check you out. Great. Um, yeah. How did you? So, all right. So, like, you you magically learned how to be an awesome artist uh, with, with <laughs> no help. How did you? Uh, how did you come across all of the hermetic and alchemical symbolism? Like, what um, is this something you? have been into forever do you remember what triggered that um well i've been loosely interested in it since i was a teenager but i didn't really know what uh -huh. i was moving towards um until i started studying polarity therapy which is a uh, an energetic body work that uh -huh. i studied for five years in my 20s while i was learning painting um and it's really based in a lot of hermetic principles. And if you've ever read the, the Kabbalion mm -hmm. with the seven hermetic principles of the universe, that was kind of um, something that forms the basis of polarity therapy. And that's where I was initially introduced to it was through that modality. Huh. I've never um, heard of that before. I mean, I've heard of the Kabbalion, but I've never heard of polarity yeah. therapy. That's, that's interesting. So what? So it's based on... Um, it's based on some of the teachings of the Kabbalion or the seven principles in the Kabbalion? Yeah, because it's energy work. So, you know, the, the uh -huh. Kabbalion kind of talks about energy and all of its different manifestations. And that's what we work with in polarity therapy. Um, and then, so... Yeah, and I remember early on seeing an image of Mercurius, one of these old, I think it was from Basilius Valentinus. And mm -hmm. that image just really struck me and I... Um, have been on the on the search ever since to to dive as deeply as I could into alchemy. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so I was looking at one of, one of the uh, paintings that you did that I think you may have completed recently is the one with the three headed lion. Oh yeah, shredding that's a fun one. shredding the other lion. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in one of your descriptions of it, I think on Instagram you were talking about how when you were sketching it out, all of a sudden the lion had three heads, and it sounded like you do like you were doing some kind of like automatic artwork, or or you were. Mm -hmm. So do you do that a lot? It's something that's started within the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I've worked with it on and off, but a lot of my uh, pieces that people see that are very symmetrical. Those, there's an automatic process involved in that, but the actual painting is very planned out in order to be symmetrical. But more recently, in the last couple of years, I started with a process where I just I start with different layers of color and shapes 
begin to present themselves to me. And that's what I work with. And I draw upon those shapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, before I know it, there's very specific animal and human forms and faces and images that come out. And then I just build on those. So huh. it's very much a conversation and often it'll change along the way as I kind of adjust and learn what it is I'm actually portraying. How So you find that you find the creativity just comes to you as you take action upon it. Yeah, yeah. Was it difficult to get your I mean I guess what I'm wondering is like was it difficult to get to a point where you where you trusted that creativity like how you know you you must have had to get to a particular level of competency with the with art to begin with, right? Before. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of years of just, um, you know, I would do compositions of things that I would have reference images for. So the compositions would be very surreal and um, dictated by my plan. But then I would use reference images to get this kind of realism in there mm-hmm. and. Um, I learned a lot about painting and portraying light and shadow and form by doing that. And at this point, I, I have a really good grasp on how to paint. So it's much easier to just get free with it and be creative in the moment and let things emerge spontaneously. You don't have to think of the technical as- aspects anymore. You just, you just create. Yeah, yeah, not quite as much of the technical thinking going into it. And the best is when I'm just and think about it at all and that's more and more often the case these days huh that's cool i um i talked to a uh a guy who did automatic writing and actually i think he channeled a book by thoth oh mm-hmm. and i tried to get him to sort of talk about like what does that feel like like you sit down and and stuff just comes out of you or or like how does it feel like is there and I, I wasn't sure that I was able to ask the right questions, but I didn't get I didn't get the sort of answer that left me coming away being like, man, I understand what that is now. So do you <laughs> do you feel like you understand it when it happens? Like, do you do you ever paint something and put it out on the page? And then afterwards, you're like, this doesn't make any sense at all. What is this? Um, yeah, sometimes that happens mm-hmm. where I don't understand what's come out and then I have to leave it for a while Uh um, and reflect on it and look at it and decide whether or not it makes some kind of sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And often if I wait long enough or I give it the proper attention, then I'll understand what it's trying to tell me. And other times I'll just have to paint over stuff that comes out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Huh. That's gotta be, well, that's cool. So before you came across polarity what was it polarity therapy polarity mm-hmm. yeah polarity therapy so before you came across that were you interested in any other um interest uh, any other like esoteric or occult stuff would you like did you get into wicca in high school and wear a lot of <laughs> black lipstick and stuff <laughs> um i i was doing tarot i think i started doing tarot readings for myself when i was 14 uh-huh so that's always been with me as sort of a practice. And then when I was about 16, I started reading Carlos Castaneda and mm-hmm. Paramahansa Yogananda and getting very obsessed with the um, learning how to understand energy and seeing energy. And mm-hmm. 
when I was like 12 or 13, I, I could see things that um, nobody talked about. And I think we all see it. It's just nobody really talks about it. It's like the energy that you can see in the air when you look at, um, you know, a dark room or something. There's sort of like a veil of pixelated colors. Um, yeah. And I recognized that as being something that was valid, but because nobody was talking about it, I had to go on this um, kind of journey to figure out <clears throat> what was going on with that. So that took me through studying shamanism and laying on of hands and working with gemstones and all kinds of metaphysical stuff. And um, not so much the magic or occult side of it, but more this, you know, spiritual mm -hmm. aspect and, the occult stuff came later after I um, was introduced to polarity therapy and started studying alchemy. Mm -hmm. And when you study alchemy, um, what form do you usually do it? Are you, is it mostly like the uh, like psychological style alchemy, like young stuff or, or how do you go about it? Yeah, actually I, I've been introduced to a lot of the um, other aspect of it, the operative or laboratory mm -hmm. alchemy, but I haven't practiced any of that myself. Mm -hmm. So my experience is all with the psychological kind of spiritual aspect of alchemy. And yeah, Jung has been a huge influence on me and I continue to, to use him as a resource mm -hmm. to understand. And, um, yeah. Cool. Um, amongst, so you've got, uh, your online gallery has a bunch of your artwork in it. And I'm wondering like, uh, do you have a favorite painting that you've made? Oh, of mine? Um, that's a tough question. I do really like that little lion painting. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, that, it's small, isn't it? That's Yeah, it's only eight by eight inches. Yeah. I like it because it was such a force that was beyond me. It just came through so spontaneously mm -hmm. and um, created this really intense image. And I like the um, the innocence and the violence of it that are kind of combined. Yeah, the creature that the lion is mauling. Like, there's something about it that reminds me of uh, uh, the Wendigo design in in the Hellboy comic books. I don't know if you ever read comic books, but um, <laughs> no, I haven't. That's kind of a that's kind of cool. And then the lion himself coming out of the Eric. Eric, yeah. they're called graphic novels. <laughs> oh, sorry. The graphic novels. <laughs> we're, we're not a bunch of nerds that read comic books. Oh, right, right. <laughs> we're grownups. We read graphic novels. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how the lion is also coming out of the earth, right? Or covered in moss yeah. or, or sort of like merged with the earth, which makes me think of the green lion, which is a mm -hmm. an old alchemical symbol for something. And I, I don't know what because I... Probably, I haven't I haven't read alchemy stuff in quite a while, but that yeah, it's a really awesome painting. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and yeah, that lion is kind of growing almost like a tree or something <clears throat> out of the the mossy earth. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely um, thinking about the green lion because I've been uh, chewing on that one for a few years now, and that's actually going to be a painting mm -hmm. when the time is right. Cool. Uh, when I understand the green lion, I suppose, or when I'm ready to really understand it. Where do you, so do you, in your continuing study of alchemy, what, um, what do you, 
do you have a teacher or are you just reading books on your own or how's that uh how, do, how are you progressing um mostly i'm just self-taught with that too um i have people that have taught me things and i have a friend who's a practicing alchemist down in new mexico that um i i think this year i'll be with um to begin learning the the lab work mm -hmm. and William Kiesel up in Seattle, who runs the gallery and bookshop Mortlake and Company. Oh, um, yeah. Has been a really, yeah, he's a dear friend of mine and he's been a great resource as well. Didn't, um, so they're, they're related to Ouroboros Press somehow. Are they like the storefront for Ouroboros Press? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, exactly. and they were the guys, they were the people who put on that first, uh, or the, the esoteric book conference. Yeah. Yeah, William puts on the Esoteric Book Conference, and I think there's going to be another one this year. He, I, he skipped a year last Yeah, in 2017. I hope there's another one this year. I really liked the one we went to, and we were uh, we were sad when there wasn't one this year. But I know, me too, yeah. I'm looking now at the crossroads in the Garden of Venus. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a, uh, that's a really, that's a big painting. Um, yeah, that's three by three feet. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot going on there and you've got symbolism. So there's this rug carpet that kind of comes from infinity and goes under the goat and then kind of cascades down. And there's a lot of stuff in there, including a lot of things that look like you got from Agrippa. Oh. And the Golden um. Dawn. Right? Definitely a golden dawn influence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then but <laughs> like that. so in the center where you have the where you have the sign of Venus and um you've got the mm -hmm. the red square behind it like that's the you've got the, the uh, chimera of like planetary intelligences and things and actually I believe they are all Venus symbols, aren't they? Yep, they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you didn't get it from Agrippa, somebody did. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that's cool. That's a it's a it's a fascinating and so here's the thing that is really impressive to me, like the fact that you didn't go to any that you didn't have any like uh training, but you still have managed to figure out how to do all of these different textures. Like just in this one painting, you've got goat hair and horns <laughs> and fabric, which is not easy to do, and like all the different plants and stuff going on. It's uh mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's impressive. I'll stop telling you how impressive it is. You you you, you, you get the picture. <laughs> well, it was um it was one of the first ones that I did with that spontaneous style of painting. After oh, um the composition of the waters was really the first one where I let myself just go completely wild and see what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and this one followed that, so it was the second one that I really let myself just. Um, get free and there was a basic plan you know with the goat sitting on this uh space altar if you want to call it that mm -hmm. that sounds good and yeah um so i had a basic plan but then all of the detail came from just applying layers of color and letting my hand create shapes and not thinking about it and then taking a step back and looking at it and saying oh okay that looks kind of like a fig, you know, it uh -huh. looks like there's actually a cluster of figs here. And wouldn't it be interesting if they were all oozing um, fig guts out of them? And <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of how it, it came out. Huh. 
Yeah. And then it's, um, it's definitely, it took time to develop because there's um, elements in it. Like the constellation of Scorpio mm-hmm. is in the background kind of, um, oh. you can see the star Antares uh-huh. just above the tree. Yeah. Yeah. I That's see. the tail of the scorpion. Uh-huh. Um, that is and cool. then it comes down through the goat and yeah. So there's elements like that, that, um, were also kind of thought out and planned, but mm-hmm. yeah. So when you, so the, the process of painting, of creating these, um, you know, it, it sounds like it's a very, like there's part of, there's kind of an inner journey involved or like a, a, uh, you know, the it's, it's transformative work, I would assume for you. Right. Incredibly. So, yeah. Yeah. And then what about the finished product? Like, do you ever use these as, uh, focuses for like contemplation or meditation or anything when you're done with them or, or do you kind of put them away? No, they, they never seem to stop informing me. Yeah. No matter how much I look at them. Yeah. There's always something new. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I I wish uh, I wish that I could be up to uh, to see your your show because this stuff looks like it it's it's better in person I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's a pretty powerful process actually because I, I put a lot of time in studying the ideas beforehand, and then I'll get inspired to to start a new painting, mm-hmm. and I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that. I'm going to be changed by the mm-hmm. painting beyond a doubt. I know that whenever I start out and it's always a process of discovery. And so that's what keeps me interested because I, it's always new. So do you find when you're creating these paintings and, and doing your artwork that when you're really in the, in the process of that, I'm not sure how long it takes you, but if it takes you multiple days, do you, do you find yourself having really powerful and potent dreams yeah, yeah. And actually, it, it takes me multiple months most of the time. Oh, wow. Uh, nice. Yeah. And often I have very intense dreams that correspond to the paintings and sometimes inform what goes into the paintings or help me understand what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So are these like, uh, are they dreams or are they just, would you consider them astral or spiritual travels? Um. I don't know if I really see much of a difference between right. dreams and astral travels, but yeah, like for instance, um, the painting that I'm going to be showing at this uh, upcoming show on March 1st was pretty much done. Uh, and I had a dream just towards the end of the painting as I was finishing it that um, led me to include three little eagles, just this tiny little detail way off in the background, three little eagles, because I dreamt of them in the context of the painting. Hmm. So sometimes things like that will happen. And I just know that it needs to be in there because it's part of the story. Yeah. So it's almost like during the process of creating a painting, the, the story of the painting or the artwork, like it really entwines itself through your life. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's really intense. Do you ever get, uh, 
do you ever get people who look at your paintings and come up with details or things that you hadn't noticed or 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 connections in them that you hadn't been aware of before? Um yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Like what do you, what do they tend to notice? What do people tend to focus on when they see your your work? Um Well, I don't know. Hmm. Um trying to think of an example. Well, I mean, mostly I people really respond to the paintings, mm -hmm. but don't necessarily know what they mean. Oh, that makes, or they have yeah. like, they have an intuition that it means something really um, important for them, but they don't know why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the beauty of art is it's, it's an unspoken thing. It's just something that you observe visually and you take in as symbol, but I'm actually, I've been working more on writing because I feel the need to kind of, to help people understand the art, but also just to understand these ideas that I'm working with because they've helped me so much on my own path. And mm -hmm. I, I really see the benefit of alchemy and hermeticism as a, as a spiritual path, as a way to, to reach awakening and um, really live a more joyful, uh, fulfilling life. What kind of writing have you been doing? Well, I started a blog on my website, but then I also just started a Patreon page where I've got a blog mm -hmm. and I'm writing articles about the symbolism that I'm working with in the paintings, um, about alchemy, about hermeticism, um, about my own creative process as it relates to those subjects. And um, so that's one aspect of it. But then I'm also working on several books. Um, yeah on kind of bigger themes that are just, uh, I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I'm writing a book about um, the deity Thoth, who, who I just finished the painting of, mm -hmm. um, and all of his different aspects. And then also another one on um, the black toad and alchemy. What is the black toad and alchemy? Uh, well, I'm still learning, but it has a lot of different uh, meanings and... One of them is that it sort of represents the body or the corpus and okay. also the prima materia or the beginning material of the work mm -hmm. of transmutation. Um, yeah, I'm deepening my understanding of it, but so far that's the, the easiest way to sum it up. <laughs> cool. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, that's uh, I, it's hard to write a book. <laughs> I've, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been writing. So it sounds like it sounds like you just kind of you catch an idea or the idea catches you and then you unpack it, unfold it and create with it. And, and that's how you, that's the transformative experience, right? Yeah. And it, it's a slow process because it's happening on every level of my experience. It's not just a painting or just an article or a book. It's like my life and it's affecting everything that, um, that I do, even the most mundane things. Right. So, but and yeah, it takes a while. To you're fortunate. It's fortunate that you've, you know, taken the time to develop the skills to be able to create imagery out of that. Um, I've often yeah. thought if, if I could, if I could make artwork, I could really explain this a lot better, but you know, <laughs> just taking the time to develop those skills. It's not there. Not for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, Joey, you've always got your hair. Hey, well, that is that's also my artwork. <laughs> <laughs> I get help with it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of uh, yeah the the uh, the immersive experience is neat. Um, so you have a lot of astrological symbolism in some of these. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I notice Venus shows up a lot. Um, do you ever consider these to be? Um, like as you make them, do they seem? Do they feel like you're making kind of like planetary talismans or, or something of that nature? Like, are they? Yeah, they're they are reflections of those astrological archetypes, mm-hmm. and uh, also like talismans, they're um, or like meditative images that you can use to invoke those archetypes, those energies. Yeah. Okay. That's that's And I I do work with Venus a lot. Um part of that is because I I really feel strongly that the heart chakra um that Venus corresponds to in the body energy system is it's a very important key for unlocking all of the rest of the the seals and opening our mm-hmm. energies so that they're fluid between the above and the below. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you know, Venus is going to be exalted on uh, March 3rd. Oh. Uh, which isn't something that modern astrologers pay attention to very much, but um, uh, Babylon, I think it was Babylonian astrologers that came up with this concept, but uh, each of the seven, you know, astrological planets has like one degree where when it hits that one degree, it's at its most exalted and powerful. And March 3rd and 4th, uh, Venus will be exalted. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I work with a lot of um, astrology, but I'm not, I don't consider myself an astrologer by any means. And a lot of it is still uh, more complex than than I have time to investigate. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's uh, Yeah. It's... My Alchemical Bromance is sponsored by Miskatonic Books. Miskatonic Books is an online bookstore that focuses on rare, limited edition, and custom-made books of the highest quality. They specialize in books on the occult, ceremonial magic, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, Hermeticism, and other topics of interest to you, our listeners. Check them out on the web at miskatonicbooks.com. But we just had this really cool um, Mercury Cassini last Saturday. What's a uh, Cassini? That sounds kind of like a pastry. <laughs> Cassini. Well, I just learned about it. I'd never heard of it before. But my, I have an astrologer friend named Gray Crawford who has a really good um, blog on his website. And he posted an article about it. And mm-hmm. it's when Mercury is in a superior conjunction with the sun. Uh-huh. And I did a little bit of research on it. And because of um, Mercury's orbit around the sun and the fact that it's between us and the sun, it has an inferior and a superior conjunction. Um, I think I'm getting this right, but the superior okay. is when Mercury is on the other side of the sun. Oh, okay. That makes sense. From the Earth. Right. So yeah. I guess it would be viewed as above us. Sort of. I think, or it would be, 
invisible to us. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't be able yeah, to see it at all. Yeah, it's supposed to be in the heart of the sun is what it means. Okay. Yeah, so that, it's, it has a very harmonious effect on Mercury's energies and kind of strengthening effect, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Mercury observations, like the fact that uh, ancient people figured out how to watch Mercury and figure out what it was doing is fascinating to me because you can't see it during the daytime at all. Uh, it's so tiny that you can't track its progress across the sun when it transits unless you've got like really modern equipment. And um, and it's so close to the sun uh, that you can only really observe it at like with the naked eye at particular latitudes. So you can't even be very yeah. far away from the equator. I was talking to an astronomer buddy of mine, and he was saying um, that up here, actually in Seattle, it's probably even worse, but like as far north as Portland, you'll probably never get to see Mercury. Wow. Um, because I, I didn't understand the the exact reason, but it was... It was interesting because I realized that, you know, of all the planets that you're supposed to be able to see, I'd never, I'd never spotted it myself, but it's always going to be right at dawn or right before Mm -hmm. or right at uh, dusk and, and you, and you're going to have to go further south. (laughs) So the the fact that all that stuff was figured out is just baffling to me. Like how, how the heck did they do that? Yeah. Very, very intriguing. I've been really interested in that aspect of Mercury and the fact that both Mercury and Venus have that, um, you know, that they are viewed at dawn and at dusk along with the sun. They're kind of like mm-hmm. guiding or following the sun. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it is pretty cool. Like it's, it's great when you figure that stuff out and you look at the sky and you're always like, well, that's why it's always, you know, that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> so can I ask you about the uh, Concordia Oppositorum? The, yeah. So for those of you listening at home, um, this painting, it's a uh, it's kind of a blue sky that sort of fades to slight storminess on the right. But in the foreground, huge, there's a swan eating its own tail <laughs> uh, interlocked with an alligator that's eating its own tail. Well, I think it was a crocodile that I used for reference, but it, it's not a yeah a crocodile. Well, whatever. Important. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what uh, can you te- can you explain some of the symbolism there, or what what you were thinking or feeling when you did this one? Yeah. Um, leading up to it, I had been dealing with a lot of uh, extreme polarization in myself, feeling mm-hmm. very pulled between different sides of my my being and this was sort of the initial um, truce between those two sides mm-hmm. so into an agreement of understanding that you know there's a dark and a light side uh-huh. and they need each other and the dark and, side is the swan <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's obvious. Um, yeah, so they're they're inextricably linked, but it's by their own choice. You know, they could let go at any time. 
Oh right, it's like the symbolism in the in the devil card where you've got like the chained prisoners, exactly. like the loose chains where they're just like, no, I gotta be here. And you're like, no, that's not true. You can just walk. <laughs> I don't know. Just just in looking yeah. at it, I think you just had a deep subconscious desire for some alligator skin boots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or maybe some uh, deep fried alligator tail. That looks delicious. That's just the Oklahoma in me, though. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, but again, you also have like this great interplay of texture here. Like the that alligator, that crocodile must have taken forever. Yeah, and you know, I actually I drew this all out beforehand, oh. which I don't always do, but I I wanted to make sure that it was going to look right and be in the right geometric proportions and all of that. So I drew it all out and I literally drew every single scale <laughs> and then uh, had to transfer it onto the panel using carbon paper. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then painting all those tiny details one scale at a time. That's, uh, that's intense. I'm, I'm how, zooming how in. How long did this one take you? Um, this one was pretty quick cause it's not, a huge painting it's 11 by 14 inches okay. um it took about i'd say two months altogether with the drawing and the planning and the painting wow do you have multiple projects going at once you know i i do usually have more than one but i tend to just focus in on one and just yeah. work on it until it's until it's right do yeah. you get many people? It's hard for me to yeah. to switch between paintings because my palette gets really built up and Oh, and you get you get really uh I mean the, Sorry, go ahead. I was thinking like it must also be hard to switch because you get so drawn into the symbolism and experience of the painting itself like you can't really just Oh, you're kind of breaking up. Oh. Um How about now? Breaking up on us there. There you are. I'm yeah, back? I think you're back. Okay, yeah. cool. I was gonna, I was gonna say that uh, it must also be hard to switch because of how, uh, how drawn into the sort of the symbolism and the story of the painting you get, right? Like you can't. Oh yeah. You can't yeah, really sometimes, put that down. Yeah, I um, usually reach a point in a painting where I don't know what's next. I don't know what to do, and that's because my life, something needs to happen in my life. Mm -hmm. in order for me to understand the next move in the painting. And so I'll, I'll put it down and I'll work on something else. And sometimes that period can be anywhere from a month to six months to a year where I can't work on something um, because I haven't gotten the, the key uh -huh. to unlock it. And um, more and more I'm not able to do that because I'm working on deadlines and trying to have new material for shows. So it's an interesting new place that I'm at with my work where I just have to keep keep at it even though I may not have the answer. Mm -hmm. um, you have a painting called uh, Roasting Cinnabar. Mm -hmm. And that made me think of another question. Um, so with your interest in alchemy, have you ever mixed your own paints or, or done your own pigment work or anything of that no. nature? No. No, I would like to do that at some point, but no, I, I haven't gotten into that. Because the cinnabar in particular, I think, is fascinating because it's, uh, you know, it's a color. We we, it, we just use it as a name for a red color now, but it uh, it's a crystalline form of mercury that mm -hmm. used to be used as a pigment. Super, super toxic, but really pretty red colors. 
Um, <laughs> and Mercury, you know, is, is core. Sounds great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but Mercury is, is a core, el- is, a, is one of the core elements of, of, uh, of alchemy. And yeah, um, I always thought that that interaction was really interesting between artwork and <laughs> poisoning yourself with paint. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I think about the toxic element of oil paints a lot, um, mm-hmm. mercury aside. But they're yeah. safer now than they used to be, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I, I try not to worry about it too much because um, I use walnut oil for my solvent most of the time. So uh-huh. that's pretty non-toxic. And the paints themselves don't really have a lot of fumes. And I'm not a messy painter, so are they, yeah, I don't worry about that too much. But. Is it all oil paint? Is that your... Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I do have some pieces in acrylic on my website and stuff, but I, I rarely work in acrylic now. Oh, we lost Joey. Oh, uh-oh. He, he'll be back, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Have you ever thought of doing a tarot deck? <laughs> I get that question a lot, and I have. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like I kind of am creating a tarot deck, but, a you know, a, a new tarot deck altogether. Right. Um, but as far as trying to do a traditional tarot deck, um, it's something that I, I keep in mind, but it's not a priority right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be a cool project, but I know that it would be a very all-consuming project. So it's something that I hesitate to start yeah, it until seemed, I'm actually ready. Yeah, it seems like the sort of thing that would not only take forever, but then um, the market is so flooded. Like, yeah. There's so many tarot decks out there. How do you get, you know, with with the with the with the depth of your of the symbolism in your in your artwork, it seems like it would be. Um, tough to you know it'd be a tough sell for for your average tarot reader yeah yeah and how many is it like 72 cards in the deck if i were to take six months to do a painting and 72 cards like that just sounds it's only 36 I don't years have, yeah <laughs> i'd like to be immortal but i don't know yeah yeah i guess it is a it's a huge amount of work i i look at uh uh, some of the tarot stuff out there, like um, Robert Place's work, and it's you know it's great that he's been able to do it, but I have no idea how he finds the time. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, do you have uh, when you're working on your paintings? Do you do you listen to uh, podcasts, music, books on tape? Oh yeah, all those things. Um, more often, I listen to music or audio books. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any favorite podcasts aside from ours? Um, well, I haven't actually tuned into too many podcasts, but yeah, I love your podcast, Alchemical Bromance, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times I listen to YouTube talks and lectures and things recorded on YouTube. Um, a lot of spiritual speakers, Alan Watts, mm-hmm. um, Terrence McKenna. Um, Carl Jung, if I can find stuff. Uh-huh. Um, Sadhguru. Uh, and, yeah, I, I've been listening to a lot of Herman Hesse. Uh-huh. Like um, audiobooks? Audiobooks, yeah. Yeah, and those have been really good. 
Have you, I'm sure you've been exposed to Damien then, right? Yes, I listened to that one recently and it just uh, took me away. I felt like he was speaking from inside of me. It's yeah, really powerful. That's, a, that's an incredible book. And then um, Magister Ludi, if you can find it, is... Yeah, I'm listening to that one now, actually. Oh, really? It's so good, yeah. I love that so one. Good. It is such a strange story. I haven't read it in a, in a really, really long time, but um, but the game in there, you know, the glass bead game, there's mm-hmm. like this focus it's like this object of fascination for like uh for like really hardcore game nerds who have tried to reconstruct it because he never gives the rules he just uh-huh. describes it as this game where where the different glass beads uh they represent like all sorts of different things like concepts and ideas and people and and all this stuff and somehow they are composed in some way that is never really described um, yeah and i i just love that and uh and if you you know if you get bored one day oh you're breaking up a little bit okay i'll uh is it still bad it's a little better it's getting better yeah well i'll just keep talking because i can i can hear me okay. <laughs> <laughs> i can hear you now okay great <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, if you get if you get bored, uh, get on the internet and look up what people have done to try to recreate the glass bead game. Oh yeah, um, there are some really fascinating things out there that are kind of like these these. Uh, I don't even know if you want to call them games, but they end up being sort of like a a two person meditation on a subject, or I don't know. There's a lot of interesting stuff, so that's a. Yeah. You don't hear very yeah, many. Yeah, I am. Um, oh. I'm fascinated by it. I didn't realize people were recreating the game. That's great. I don't think anybody's done it successfully, but there are, <laughs> there are interesting attempts. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been involved in any of the in any uh, esoteric orders or occult groups up in up in the Seattle area? No, I briefly entertained the idea of joining the, um, oh, what is it called? The Temple of the Lima. Um, or the OTO. The OTO, yeah. Uh, but I, I decided that I don't think that's really for me. I'm really a very solitary practitioner. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't necessarily feel like uh, any sort of organized um group is going to be right for me but i'm glad that people are are doing that and i think it is definitely going to be beneficial for a lot of people to follow a path that way yeah i think so uh there's a uh there's a pretty active oto group in portland and Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not uh, one of the things that kind of bothers me about the oto is that it's a it's a religious organization and they kind of expect you to follow Thelema, you know, the Aleister Crowley's religion. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm just not really on board with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, me neither. I don't want to follow any one specific um, practice. Have you, are you, in, are you familiar with the work of Mitch Horowitz? No. Well, so the, the Kabbalion is, um, is kind of like directly influenced by the new thought movement from the uh, late 1800s. And uh-huh. um, that new thought movement also gave birth to uh, 
uh, like self-help in a really weird way. Um, and Mitch Horowitz has this great book on it called Occult America. Um, and he's been he's been so fascinated with this now that he's actually sort of developed this whole new uh, resurgence of like new thought and the Kabbalion stuff. Um, you might really enjoy his work. I will check it out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And so so for me, like, I love the. I love Hermeticism and the Corpus Hermeticum and all that kind of stuff. And I always uh-huh. get a little irritated at the Kabbalion because I feel like <laughs> it makes a lot of claims about what it is that it doesn't back up very well. Yeah. Yeah. And who were the three initiates? Is there any idea on that? We know exactly who they were. It was all one guy, William Walker Atkinson. Oh. Yeah. And he he actually published a lot of the stuff from the Kabbalion in... Um, in other books under different pseudonyms and sort of repackaged it. So I can't remember any of the names, but he, uh, excuse me, he published it as like Hindu mysticism and called himself like, you know, Swami something or other. And then I think there was another one he did too, but he just, he would, it was basically like he, he was trying to make a living as a writer and it was tough. So he would kind of (laughs) repackage what he was writing in different ways, but it's a, it's a fascinating how the Kabbalion in particular, like caught on and influenced, um, influenced like American occultism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it really, I feel like it was really kind of the whole jumping off point, you know, way before, way before Jung came around, it was sort of the jumping off point of this, uh, of this like psychological model of, of the occult that is, that's so popular now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's right or not. Like I kind of hope that it's not, I kind of hope that it's (laughs) it's more than just our brains being tricky. Um, (laughs) And it's hard to say, right? Right. Like, you know, when you, I mean, you must have thought about this a little bit with when you have like the automatic stuff or like the received artwork. Like, is it from mm-hmm. you? Yes and no. Yes and um, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's both from beyond me, you know, but it's also from within me. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's that paradox, you know. It's um. Yeah, yeah. It's all mind. It's all. Right, one mind that we're existing in, but yet it's this individual experience. You kind of have to ask if, again, like you go back to this that that psychological model, like is the stuff that is beyond you still you? I I think when you come down to it, it's all you. It's all me. It's all yeah um, available when you can break down all the conditioning and um, get to the the essence of what's really going on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's from beyond there's these archetypes and these beings and whatever you're working with angels or um, they're outside of you, but at the same time, they are you, they're part of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's kind of fascinating stuff, and uh, I love the fact that it is so deeply infused in your artwork. That's super cool. Are there other artists that have inspired you? 
Oh, certainly. Yeah. I always hate this question because I can never think of names on the spot. Well, see, um, I feel like as somebody who's never interviewed an artist before, it probably should have been like one of the first questions I asked. It usually is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you can, um, you can think about it. I'll try to come up with another question. <laughs> well, Max Ernst, Max Ernst. Uh, is one of my favorite uh, surrealists and a lot of the surrealists have really inspired me mm-hmm. um yeah max ernst leonora carrington mm-hmm. um dolly um and did you uh pay a lot of attention to their artwork before you started painting or was it something no <laughs> So it was something no. where you were painting and you were like, I wonder what other people are doing. And then you went and saw. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I've never like really studied art or, um, I mean, I, I've been to a lot of museums and stuff like that in my time, but I've never formally studied art history or anything. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason why I hate that question is because I'm not like an art nerd per se. Um <laughs> And I have learned who I like over the years, um, but it's not like they were inspiring me from a young age or anything. Most of the art that I was exposed to was from my my mom and my uncle and uh, my grandpa. Uh-huh. So they were actually more of an influence on on my work than anybody. What kind of so what kind of art did they expose you to? Do you think like what do you remember anything in particular? Well, my uncle painted these really gouache paintings of very spiritual religious um, images and kind of iconographic images sometimes, but they had this uh, twist to them Mm -hmm. that was very mysterious to me and very intriguing and um, continue to be intriguing to me when I see his work. And I've got a couple like little posters of of his work around me in my studio. Do you have any uh, photos of it that we could share with the listeners maybe? Yeah. Can I, I can send that to you. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I just, uh, I just clicked on the gates of paradise, which is Mm -hmm. also incredible. I love that dagger in the middle. So you (laughs) actually, so you sell your paintings and then they, they go, they're, they're gone from you. I don't know that I would ever be able to sell one of these. <laughs> I, you know, I've had them priced pretty high. And so I've only sold a couple of my, my high priced originals. Uh-huh. Um, I sell a lot of prints, mm-hmm. but I think I'm going to start lowering my prices a little bit because of their move. I, I'm running out of space to store it when it's in. also, um, ready to kind of let go a little bit i've been holding on kind of tight for that reason because they are like my yeah babies it's hard to see them go like the gates of paradise sold pretty much right after i finished it i got an offer on it wow and um i've been showing it since then but just as like a g clay print on canvas so Mm -hmm. it's not the same it's not the same (laughs) as the original (laughs) that's a little bit hard yeah well uh, I guess it's it should be flattering though that it it sold so quickly. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, and it continues to be my most popular print that I sell. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Well, so do you have? Uh, I was I, I don't know if you have any questions for us. Like, do you want to ask us anything? Well, yeah. Um, how did you 
get interested in alchemy and what's your history with it? Um, oh man, alchemy, you know, alchemy, I guess, uh, for me has been kind of, um, uh, tangential to a lot of the other stuff that I've studied, but I've been, mm-hmm. uh, I've been studying the occult since I was really young. Like I got my first tarot deck probably when I was 13 or 14 and got into Wicca and, you know, neo shamanism stuff. And then, um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, college happened and I, mm-hmm. uh, discovered like Discordianism and Kabbalah. And then I've been doing, you know, kind of ceremonial magic stuff for about 20 years. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. So it's been a it's been a while. I've been doing it for a long time. Um. And then, uh, so alchemy. I guess, I mean, for me, a lot of the alchemy that I've really studied has just been because it's so intertwined with hermeticism that you can't really mm-hmm. study hermeticism without doing a little bit of without reading a little bit about it. And uh, right. And you can't really study like, you know, Renaissance magic without studying a little bit of alchemy. So, mm-hmm. so I guess that's it. I don't know that I, I don't really consider myself much of an expert in it. I, I, I know some of the symbols and I know some of the, some of the concepts <clears throat> and, um, yeah. and I read all of, uh, Neil Stevenson's Baroque cycle, which has, uh, an alchemist as the main character as one of the main characters, <laughs> Oh, okay. which totally doesn't make you an expert at all, but, um, <laughs> Uh, I never played an alchemist on TV. <laughs> um, that makes you a real expert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess that's that's uh, that's pretty much the extent of my alchemy knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then I know, you know, I know a little bit about the history of it, like how um, how Jung loved it, and Jung really um, caused uh, everybody to kind of look at alchemy in a new light and. Uh, which I think is great because it turns out that alchemy itself is so critical to history. You know, without yeah. without alchemy, we never would have had like modern pharmaceuticals. We never would have had like metallurgy. Uh, there, there was so much stuff that we that we just never would have figured out without alchemy. Yeah. And then yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how little it's regarded in the mainstream culture too, and how kind of uh, it's just looked upon as this mock science that um, comes from an earlier naive era. Uh, yeah, and yet there's this depth of wisdom there that when you really start looking at it, it unveils itself, and it's very, very powerful work. Yeah, and there's this- and from from what I know from practicing alchemists, like there's very real um, aspects to the, the chemistry of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also just this beautiful worldview in it where, where the, the interaction or like the interplay of matter transforming or matter combining or whatever is, is like a reflection of everything else in existence. So it's, it always feels to me like there's this level of connectedness in, in alchemy that, um, that gives it like a real humanity or, or it gives it soul, you know, that, that science doesn't necessarily cling to very well. And chemistry doesn't really, you know, when, when you're, when you're reducing matter to, to a bunch of chemical equations, it's, it's not as, there's not as much feeling in it. No. So. No. And there's this idea in modern have an objective standpoint 
mm -hmm. things that are happening. But in alchemy, it's really, I think it's pretty understood that everything is subjective and it's happening within and without, you know, it's that as is, as above, so below. Yeah. yeah. Correspondence. Yeah. And you know, it's, um, it's tied almost uh, impossibly close to, to hermeticism, like way back. Uh, Cause mm -hmm. alchemy started, alchemy started, you know, 2000 years ago or so. And it was, <clears throat> and it was hermeticists who were doing it. And then even you get to like the, the Emerald tablet, which, um, which is probably from like the seven or eight hundreds. And, uh, and it's like the, one of the foundational test texts that alchemists constantly turn to. And it's all about mm -hmm. that hermetic quality, you know, the as above, so below, and the reflection of the, of the cosmos and in the in the individual and in the in the, the, uh, the world. Yeah. Yeah, I like that stuff. Um. Yeah. Any other questions? I I was just staring off into the distance there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I guess, can you tell me a little bit more about your podcast and um, how you kind of find the people that you end up interviewing and what inspires you to? Yeah, um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because there's this um, there's this kind of like insular world of occult podcasters. And if you sort of go and look, you'll see that they all tend to be like guests on each other's podcasts a lot. So we've had a couple... <laughs> guests that have been like other podcasters <laughs> um <laughs> but and then a lot of times like somebody will sort of like get injected into this sort of circuit so the same guy or or the same person will end up on like all of the podcasts sort of over like a three-month period <laughs> so so who knows you might be next you might get interviewed by by somebody who's who's far less um erudite and intelligent as 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 we are Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, that's not true. They're all they're all pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's it it just ends up being. I mean, you know, the between between the three or four of us, we we know a bunch of interesting people, or we've known a bunch of interesting people for a long time. And so one of the things that I think we thought about pretty early on was like, oh, we don't even have to go anywhere. We could just like ask our friends to come on the podcast and talk about all the weird ass crap they're doing. Um, <laughs> and so that's happened a lot and then we also you know i guess uh i don't remember when i thought about having you on the podcast but i've been following you on instagram for a long time and i guess at some point i was kind of like you know what i bet she should be on the pod i should just a lot of it is just sort yeah. of getting the courage to talk to a complete stranger on the internet and be like hey uh -huh. do you want to you want to be on a podcast about weird stuff <laughs> <laughs> so that's usually yeah i was I was delighted that you wanted to interview me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I also, I, I interviewed probably the, the, the one that was most exciting to me. I interviewed Scott Gosnell, who has mm -hmm. been translating uh, the works of Giordano Bruno into English. And I've been like following his stuff and like reading all of his stuff and like buying his books and all this sort of stuff. And he got a hold of me. Oh, I like, wow. I had like written some, blog post about uh, the art of memory and Giordano Bruno. And he got a hold of me one day. He's like, Hey, I noticed you have a podcast. Do you want me to be on it? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so that was really fun. And we, we talked forever and he had this whole list of stuff that he wanted to talk about. And we only got through like the first one thing. <laughs> so, so that was pretty fun. So yeah, I mean, I guess I still haven't figured it out. We're, this is, 
this is just going to be our like 25th episode. So uh, okay. I don't feel like we've totally exhausted all of the, all of the close contacts that we have. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's mostly it. And then we also like a lot of episodes, it's just a couple of us drinking beer and talking about some occult topic. Oh yeah. I noticed that the beer thing, yeah. I almost felt like I should have a, a cider or something. Yeah. Right. I was going to say something about it, but then I forgot. And um, I'm just drinking a LaCroix. So I don't even have a cool beer to talk about tonight. <laughs> so I'm drinking some nettle tea from some nettles I just harvested. How? Do I've you- got a whiskey and a soda here. Is it, can you talk <laughs> about your whiskey, Nate? You've got the most exciting drink. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it, well, it's, it's oak infused old crow. Oh, it's your secret recipe. Yes. Okay. And that's all. You don't have like any so, tasting notes. Uh, it tastes like old crow that's been oaked more. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any questions for Seven? I do. Have you? Uh, have you ever studied the work of Austin Osmond Spare? Um, not that much. No, I'm, I know who he is, but no, not in depth. Okay. I just, I thought maybe the automatic writing might kind of relate to that in the, the, the terms of like kind of sigil magic and stuff like that Mm -hmm. for your paintings. Yeah. You should probably, you, you'd probably really dig him. Yeah. I should look into his work more. Yeah. I, uh, I actually was just, I just, uh, was flipping through an Austin Osmond spare book on Monday and I took a picture of the cover. So I'll, uh, I'll send it to you so you can. You can look it up. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I think, you know, we've got a lot of material. Uh, we've been recording mm-hmm. for a while. So if you want to sort of talk about where um, people can find you on the Internet, I've got I've got all your links, but you can tell them, too. So because it turns out that, like, yeah, people in the modern world don't like to read anything. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, well, I I have a website with all of my art on it, and that is marlena7bremner.com, um, spelled M-A-R-L-E-N-E-S-E-V-E-N-B-R-E-M-N-E-R.com. And I also, I post a lot of stuff on Instagram, and you can follow me there. I am M7Artist. And it's the number seven that time. Yep, the number seven, M7 Artist. And if you are interested in going a little bit deeper with the work that I'm doing, I have a, more of an in-depth blog that I'm doing on Patreon. And you can go to the Patreon site and look for 7 Art and find me there. All right, cool. We will link to all of that stuff. And then I assume everybody who's listening to this probably knows that we have a, we're at uh, myalchemicalbromance.com and we're on iTunes and Stitcher and all that exciting stuff. Uh, Seven, it was a it was a it was great having you on. I really look forward. I hope that there's an esoteric book conference this year so that I can come and see your art again and uh, and say hi in person. Wonderful. Yeah, I hope so too. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, please keep up the great work and um, keep making awesome art. I will. The great work is never ending. <laughs> Bitch.
I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not